Episode 92 of the Sleeper and the Bust podcast. I'm Jason Collette, joined once again this afternoon by Eno Saris. What's going on, bud? Uh, I am hungover. Oh, I, I'm jealous <laughs> because the medication they have me on uh, for the walking pneumonia, I am not allowed to drink alcohol for right, four yeah. more days. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. it's SF Beer Week here, um, and it, we just kicked it off last night and uh, tied one on, so... Tomorrow I'm going to some beer talks and uh, a couple bars, and it's going to be a fun week. Great. I'll be sitting around drinking hot tea at my parents' house. (laughs) Quite the contrast. (laughs) Quite the contrast in life. Uh, Today we will be covering uh, two teams that are right in Eno's wheelhouse, uh, those New York Mets and the Washington Nationals. Uh, so Eno's going to be doing a lot of the talking because, again, this is right in his wheelhouse. Pretty much the same thing when we get to the Rays. That'll be my wheelhouse. <laughs> but that's what we're going to cover today. We've got a lot to talk about. And thanks for the feedback from the episode with the uh, the Marlins and the Mariners. We took the questions, took the concerns and everything, got it all bottled up. So uh, hopefully we have it all dressed here. Let's start with the Mets in the outfield. And when you look at the outfield, the depth chart – Seems kind of crowded. You've got Curtis Granderson, Juan Lagares, Eric Young, Jr., Chris Young, Lucas Duda. Obviously, you can look at that and say Curtis Granderson is going to get enough playing time. You you spend the money on him. It's not like you're going to come over and platoon the guy. Definitely mixed league material. How do you see the rest of that Mets outfield playing out if you're a mixed league player? Um, It's very interesting because – I, I I personally think Juan Lagares should should start all the time. I think he's the best uh, defender they've got, um, and uh, I think that Young's uh, center field defense is is starting to uh, fall apart a little bit. The uh, A's used him more, uh, well, equally in the corners than they did in the center, but he was more like a, a replacement in center than he was, um, you know, the first option, obviously with Chris there, but. Uh, anyway, I, I think that Juan Lagares has plus plus glove. I just don't think that he has, um, you know, starting fantasy bat. So, you know, I think maybe in the deepest of leagues, you know, where where just running a guy out there all the time is useful, he can be useful. But I don't think he's gonna. He may not hit double digits in homers or steals. Maybe a little bit with the legs, uh, but the batting average won't be great. The on base percentage won't be good. But he's so good mm-hmm. with the glove that I think that he can he can be a starter. So that makes me have Lagares and and Granderson, and that leaves uh, one position for the Youngs and Duda. I really they they've been saying that Duda's going back to the outfield, but Duda is so terrible. I mean, he is so terrible in the outfield. And I like the guy, and he was one of the first people that ever uh, talked to me. You know, in the in the clubhouse, very nice, humble. I root for him in terms of I want this guy to succeed because he seems like he goes about it the right way and works really hard. But he's terrible in the outfield. He is so, so bad. He's like one of the worst outfielders I've ever seen. And um, so I don't think he'll be playing much outfield, which leaves it for the Youngs. 
and they're paying uh, the the new young starter salary, and the old young or young junior, um, he uh, he actually had a breakout season and was like a half a win above replacement. Right. Uh, he's the one to a wonder that I think uh, they'll just probably use uh, as a backup in a couple places. It's kind of funny. I mean, coming off the year, he didn't he lead the National League in stolen bases. Oh man, yeah, he might have. So I mean, that's it. Young finally had the year that everybody always wanted him to have when he was with the Rockies. It, it, you know, I know in my local leagues, everybody had him at one point. He was one of these untradeable guys because oh my god, he's going to hit three twenty. He's going to steal sixty bases. And that never materialized last year. So uh, in the past, but finally it looked like I remember when he was picked up in the league, my, in my local league, I was thinking, you know, whatever. I mean, it didn't work out there. How's it going to work out here? And then yeah. definitely was definitely was about a, a, a game changer for uh, National League only the ones who picked him up. And even in the mixed league, because you're talking about all those stolen bases definitely had value in those kind of formats. That's why when I looked at this depth chart, and in fact, he did leave the NL and stolen bases with 46. When I look at this depth chart, that's the first thing that stood out to me. I'm like, okay, Granderson's definitely going to get his playing time, but what the hell are they going to do everywhere else? Yeah. Yeah, so I think what will happen, I mean, at least to begin the season, I think when you pay a guy uh, $7.5 million for a year, it's a very interesting number because it's one year, and... It's 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 a, it's enough of a number that says you know starting outfielder and the the manager has said he's a starting outfielder um, so you know you have to say okay going into the season uh, Chris Young is a starting outfielder um, but you know it's a one year deal so I don't think that they have a lot invested in him and they may give him a hundred hundred and fifty plate appearances against um, you know at the beginning of the season as a full timer and then if uh, the team is doing okay, and it doesn't look like Young is going to, you know, return a draft pick, you know, or be worth a qualifying offer or or have any trade value. Then I think you'll see him just hit against left left-handers. Right, he does that extremely well. That's right. one of the things uh, he's always had. Plus, I mean, there's some versatility there as well. Look, Granderson were to have the injury issues. Last year was a freakish thing for him. But, uh, you know, if if he were to get hurt again, at least they have some versatility here to cover their spaces. Uh, getting over to Granderson, are you concerned at all about him leaving Yankee Stadium for City Field? Yeah, I mean, uh, that was uh, that was the question I asked him um, in the in the press conference um, where they announced the signing. And I and I, I wanted a good que- answer out of him, but uh, I got a terrible one. He was talking about, uh, oh, you have to play in all the parks. And, um, you know, he's like, just put good wood on the ball. I mean, it was just like a terrible answer. And then he made terrible even worse by saying, uh, if you ask around New York City, the real fans are Mets fans. And uh, Oh, yeah, I remember that one. I, had- I-, I walked in. I walked into the media room as he was saying that. I heard that reaction. I was like, oh, okay. And I- <laughs> And I had to tweet it out just because it was such a, like, you know, made-for-Twitter, you know, statement. But I felt dirty doing it. And, of course, it got retweeted a bu- uh, uh, around a bunch by Mets fans, and they loved it. And it was a great way for him to ingratiate um, himself with the new fans. But so, there was one reaction to the tweet that I was like, I am with you. Somebody said, since when did the signing press conference get became a, uh, hey, you know, glad to be here in fill-in-the-blank. <laughs> yes, you're yes. the best. Uh, the best fans are in fill in the blank city. 
Matt, Mad Lib press conference. Yeah. Uh, when, anyway, about, about when, Granderson. Yeah. Uh, I, the short porch did help him, but, you know, he also had power in, in, um, in Detroit where, you know, if he goes back to the kind of the year he had in 2009, which was pre-peak, and now he's post-peak, I, I think that's totally possible. You know, maybe that with a few more strikeouts since he's older. So maybe a 240 batting average with 28 homers. You know, it looks a little bit like 2009 with few, fewer steals, a little bit older guy. Um, I don't know why. I think that some of the uh, projections are a little bit drastic. I mean, um, yes, he, last year he hit 229, but, you know, I don't think that we necessarily need to uh, project him into a 28% strikeout rate, although he's done that now for a year and a half, so... Uh, yeah, I mean, the one thing that stood out to me when I looked at his numbers, he's had 145 home runs uh, over the past five seasons, and they're as dead even as you can split an odd number, 73 at home, 72 on the road. Uh, you know, he did have – there's been a couple of years where he's had more home runs than doubles because of that short porch, so that may flip around a little bit. But I'm not terribly concerned about his production. I think if I'm in a league, I want to play that up, play that talk up. But this is a guy – he doesn't hit cheapy home runs. He's got, you know, he, as you mentioned, he did it in Comerica. I think he, could, I think he'll be just fine at least for the first two years uh, here in City Field. The last two years may be a little different, but I'm not worried about him at all uh, for 2014. And as, and from a fantasy perspective, um, you know, he's always been a better on base percentage by than batting average. Um, so I, I think he can manage like a 325, 330 type on base percentage, even with the bad batting average. So that's that's sneaky value for him in, in linear weights and and. Um, and and on base percentage leagues for sure, you know the stolen bases they're starting to go. He only stole ten in in 2012, and 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 stolen bases don't age that well. So I'd give him five to ten at tops. But uh, I feel pretty comfortable with 25 homers. I don't think that the fans are being super unrealistic. Um, we'll see about the batting average. Fair enough. Let's move into the infield and Ike Davis. Um, when you look at Ike Davis, it's kind of freaky. Even number of years, he does well. Odd number of years, he's done terribly as far as power. Now, the batting average has been all over the place. He has almost a 100-point span in his batting average in his four seasons at the major league level. And his home runs have been anywhere from, in seasons where he's had at least 100 games, anywhere from 9 to 32. Can he put it all together? I mean, he's had a lot of trade rumors this offseason, too. It doesn't look like any of that's going to materialize, despite teams like Pittsburgh still needing a first baseman. What do you expect from Mike Davis uh, for this coming season? Yeah, I think they probably didn't like the value they were getting. The, the rumor was they wanted Nick Kingham, which um, he projects as a sort of mid-rotation starter, has a nice uh, nice curveball. He's working on a changeup, uh, added some velocities in the Pirates organization. I think they want him. And I can see why they want him. He was definitely a nice arm. Um, but uh, I don't think the Pirates think he's worth that. So I think what um, they did, and, and uh, you know, the Logan Morrison trade sort of showed the value of a struggling you know, first baseman. It's, it's not, right. There's not a lot of trade value in him. So what I think they're doing is pulling him back, and they're going to give him the first half of the season to try and rejuvenate some trade value. And um, I remain uh, actually more optimistic than a lot of Mets fans. You know, I think – there's a little bit of, uh, you know, the media cycle does something weird to Mets players where they get so big and then they get so, they get so hated. You know, it's, it's a very, uh, it's a big oscillation. So, you know, when he first came up, it was, we like Ike, there's Gertz, yep. 
you know, young, you know, attractive ladies in, in tight, you know, we like Ike shirts, that sort of deal. And, uh, and, you know, he did pretty well, you know, 19 homers, 260 average, uh, showed good glove, you know, patience, you know, and we always, you know, we always knew the strikeouts to be an issue because he has this hitch in his swing um, that uh, I think, you know, makes some people, when, when the flip turned and everyone started hating him, they were like, oh, God, his swing is terrible. He swings at stuff, uh, breaking stuff on the outer half of the plate too much um, and that sort of deal. But, you know, Andrew Jones had a decent bat and he never really hit the slider on the outside half. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he, he offered a lot of value. So I think that Davis can be a two win plus, you know, in real life, in real life baseball, I think with the patience and the glove, he can be a starting average starting first baseman. Um, but, uh, you know, when it comes to fantasy, I, I don't think, you know, I think his true talent is probably around two thirty in terms of batting average. Cause I believe on those strikeouts because of that yeah. pitch and, um, the true talent Homer, I think it just has a lot to do with sort of he, he guesses a little bit and he's a little bit streaky because, you know, it's all about laying off that outside pitch and just not swinging at it because he can't hit it. So uh, there's some there's some stuff there where um, the true talent power, I can see why that's oscillated. You know, for example, when he first hit the pros, he he had a whole season in short season ball where he didn't hit a single homer. That right. debut had a you know in 2008 239 plate appearances, not a single homer. So um, there's always been some question about his power, and I think it's because of you know he's he's got an idea of where the strike zone is, but he also has weaknesses when it comes to certain pitches. Yeah, definitely. It's when you see them as many trade rumors are out there and either you have to wonder how the player is being evaluated, but it's definitely all over the place with him. Um, and we're looking for one season where he can put it together. Maybe that could happen in his fifth season, like it did to the player to his right. I mean, Daniel Murphy coming into 2013 had hit double digit home runs before had hit, had stolen double digit bases, but had never done it the same season. And last year he does both throws in 92 runs scored, uh, drives in 78 hits 286, and all of a sudden he's a top 10 fantasy second baseman after being a mostly an afterthought coming into 2013. Now that here we are 2014, do you think there's more room for growth within Murphy's skill line, or was 2013 peak performance for him? He's a bit of fool, fool's gold for me. Um, I, don't, I don't see a real reason for him to run that often. Uh, his previous high at any level was 14. And uh, he really, and that was in 2008. So since 2008, he's been, uh, his, his stolen base totals were 4, 1, 5, and 10. Those are sexy. <laughs> right? So 23 is a major outlier. And I know he did it, you know, 23 out of 26. So that's, that's good, high percentage. And I do think that he's a smart guy on the base pass. So, you know, I feel pretty comfortable giving him, 12 to 15 or something, you know, double digits in both. He has uh, a contact-heavy sort of line drive, spray to all fields approach that I think can lead to higher batting average on balls in play and to higher batting averages. So I like the projections, 280 to 290, 10 homers, 12 stolen bases. That Those are okay, but there's, they're not, you know, he I, I see him going a little bit early, and there have been times when his batting average on balls in play have cratered you know, in, notably in 2009, 
he had he had a 284 BABIP, and that meant a 266 uh, batting average, which made probably made him replacement level. Yeah, he's currently his ADP is currently 103. He's going uh, six picks ahead of Aaron Hill, 30 picks ahead of Chase Utley, 65 picks ahead of Howie Kendrick. Yeah, there's some helium there, uh, and he's only going a pick behind Jed Jerko, who I like a lot more. He's only going three picks behind Brandon Phillips, who I have my concerns about. That said, when you look at Murphy, the batted ball profile, what kind of strikes me is sometimes he's a ground ball hitter, sometimes he's a fly ball hitter. You look at 2009 and 2013, those are the years that he's hit at least 10 home runs, 35% or higher fly ball rate. And then the other years, he was a 51% ground ball hitter, 47. So we don't know where he's to go from here. So I think when I look at him, it kind of sticks out to me that he's going in the top, just outside of the top 100. Um, I'm not cool with that. I I think that's a little high. I don't think there's room for growth here. How many slots was that above Kendrick? Uh, he was 65 picks ahead of that's, Howie Kendrick, so five rounds at a that doesn't make small team. Any mix. sense? They have like virtually they're virtually the same player. I mean, what? That doesn't make any sense to me. I would definitely take Kendrick in that situation and take the 60 picks. I would love to take the 60 picks and Kendrick. Exactly. It's, that's five rounds of difference. Let's go behind the plate. Uh, now it looks like Travis Darno is going to be asked to do a majority of the catching. After pretty much, I guess you have to would assume it was a disappointing 2013 in terms of what people were expecting from him. Highly ranked prospect. Some of the issues were he spent a lot of time in Vegas, and that's really going to mess with your numbers. Uh, so I think that may have messed up people's expectations a little bit. But where are you with Travis Darno for 2014? Yeah, I mean, Vegas is ridiculous. So you can almost just not look at those numbers. But there is something going on with Darno, where a lot of his good seasons were in good hitters parks. So, you know, I think that uh, some of the isolated slugging numbers that you see in his, in his past in the minor leagues were pumped up a little bit by home, home parks and home leagues. So I think that uh, the projections having him around league average with power, um, those are smart projections. And, you know, the thing is, um, He's going to have a lot of real-life value to the Mets in that he, he'll be cheap. Um, I don't think he'll have gaudy batting averages, so I don't think arbitration will, will love him too much, so he'll remain cheap. He's a good framer, uh, so they'll, he'll give a lot of defensive value. I think he's good behind the plate. I think he's a, he's a, he's a, a, an average, even just an average major league starting catcher returns a lot of value um, through the arbitration years. So. Uh, I think that he was a good tra- it was a good trade and they should have gotten him. But I do think he's not as good as I don't think he's a, a necessarily a fantasy asset. Um, I think he's part of a group of about 10 to 15 catchers that can hit 250 with like 15 homers, 15 to 18 homers. I don't think there's uh, any one skill that really um, that pushes him above anybody um, in that group. So, you know, if you wait and you're looking at uh, Mezzarocco, uh, I mean, I guess he's better than Mezzarocco, maybe. Uh, I don't know. I disagree. I think I'd rather have – and he's going 15 spots. He's going about a full round ahead of Mezzarocco. I personally would rather have Mezzarocco myself. Okay. It's kind of redundant, but, yeah, that's what I'd like. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I've, I've been on record with liking Mezzarocco. I think that's a defensible situation. But that's the group he belongs in. And I don't think um, that there's a real reason to, to take him out of that group. I mean, if you want to – if you want to take a chance on him instead of Jan Gomes, Jan Gomes has none of the pedigree. Um, he had a big breakout when it came to strikeout rate, and we don't know that that's necessarily going to stick. 
Um, so there's just as many questions about the other guys in that group. And there's no real reason for me to, to put anybody above the rest. So if people are worried about his power, you just remember also 112 plate appearances in the major leagues uh, tells you uh, virtually nothing about power. Right. And my issue with him, as you mentioned, hitters parks. He played in Lakewood, which is a hitters park. He played in New Hampshire, hitters park, mm-hmm. Vegas. You know, it's a little league park the way it plays with numbers. So it's really tough. This is why I don't like watching guys uh, based on numbers because you look at a guy at double A, his double A stat line, 306 with a 906 OPS. Triple A, 328 with a 990 OPS in your head. You're thinking, oh my God, this guy's going to rake at the major league level. Mm -hmm. But we don't know that. I mean, these guys can put up numbers in some of these parks and that's, it it helps to be able to neutralize the park effects. At the same time, I, I, Darno could go either way. I see him right now looking ADP. He is uh, 40 picks ahead of Alex Avila. I'll take Alex Avila's track record all day long. Uh, Yosemite Pinto, a guy that I like a lot, he's going 50, 60 picks behind him. So uh, that's kind of where he's sitting right now. He's 17th overall for catchers. Yeah, I mean, I do like him better than Pinto. Um, and I think that he's got more ceiling than uh, Avila, but uh... – if you're doing a redraft league, there's no real reason to care about, um, you know, peak ceiling um, when he's just starting out on his career and Avila's probably closer to his peak. So Exactly. Uh, Rotation-wise, uh, Mets made one big move in that they added a big pitcher, Bartolo Colon, uh, to try to replace their big loss in Matt Harvey. Let's start off with Harvey, though. If you're in a – let's say you're in a keeper league. Forget Dynasty. Let's just say keeper league. You probably had Matt Harvey come up last year, so that was year one of your contract. Now he's going to be in year two. Do you want to retain Matt Harvey and go ahead and go into the soft season with your option year and decide what you're going to do with him? Or do you try to trade him now with what his value currently is and let somebody else deal with the headache? Uh, you know, I know that there's, um, I think it's something like a, Seven to ten percent uh, failure rate with Tommy John. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had three. We've had three lately with with Lukey and with Madsen. Scott Baker's had his issues. Um, who else? Might, there's a third one I'm forgetting in that mess too. Well, Saria. You know, there's also a couple who've had two stretched out over time, like Saria and Brian Wilson. But um, right. You know, I I I tend to think, and I hope, but you know, you always got to battle homerism a little bit. But I tend to. You know, and I felt, and everybody fell in love with Harvey. I just tend to think that he seems like an athletic guy, um, and his, you know, he, the rest of his muscles around the ligament might be more. Uh, I don't know. Am I so full of crap right now? But they might be. He seems like a more athletic guy. He seems like more ready to to recover better. I mean, it almost sounds like you think he can actually pitch in 2014. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, if we're talking like. Uh, you know, a September start to sell. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Like when rosters expand. Maybe. If the Mets are still in it, or even if they're not, I mean, do you think he could make, let's say, over under five starts in 2014? Under, but, you know, over zero maybe. But the point for me is not uh, this year value. The point for me is that if you're in a league deep enough to keep more than one pitcher, uh, then then he's a decent one to keep because – you are likely so for for example 40% of all pitchers hit the DL anyway right and mm-hmm. of that group a lot of them um are on the DL for a long time so 
when you're keeping two pitchers, you're kind of you're pretty close to certain that one of them will get hurt. <laughs> and uh, so going into the season with Harvey, um, I don't think it's that terrible. It, it does depend a little bit of your place on the wind curve in terms of how how good your keeper set is and how good your you how well uh, how competitive your team is. I think the the, le- the less competitive your team is, obviously, the more willing you should be to to, to keep Harvey this year. Um, but I think even for a, a strong team, if you keep ten, for example, I don't think it'd be mm-hmm. crazy to keep Harvey. You're basically saying Harvey is my tenth round pick, and I've got nine. I've probably got six great hitters or seven great hitters, um, and two pitchers at least. And I've got my lineup in place for the most part, and I'm just going to bet that I can find late round stuff to make it work this year, and I'll be even stronger next year when Harvey comes back. So, I mean, my personal feelings. If I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I guess I, what I'm saying is I value him around 10th, 11th, 12th, like in that area. I think it's not the craziest pick in a keeper league. In my personal feelings. If I had him, I'd be willing to sell him about 75 cents on the dollar. But that's it. Other than that, I'll, I just take the risk in, in a keeper league because I'm thinking in my local league, the guy that has him, he now has him for year two. I believe he has him for $5. So at that price, I think he's just going to keep him, protect him, and then go ahead and extend him next year. Maybe it, maybe it limits how far you're willing to extend him at $5 per, the way my league rules are. And I know those are standard for a lot of people in keeper leagues. Uh, but maybe that's really the, where the limitations are. Let's look at Cologne. Well, actually, you remind you know, me. You remind me real quick. Okay. Uh, I have Harvey in one of those situations where I either have to drop him or extend him. And, um, I mean, I could keep him for one year, but then I'd have to let him go. So that wouldn't make any sense. Um, but uh, if in order to keep him, I could I have to either pay him for two years or three years at $5 mm-hmm. a pop. And uh, I had him super cheap, so it would be something like I'd have to pay – like uh, $4 for him this year or, or $5 from this year. And then it would be $10 the year that uh, he came back and $15 the next year. And I've gotten burned extending pitchers in those leagues. And I, at, at some point I, you know, I, I extended Dan Hudson, which was the dumbest thing ever. Um, but, and, and Dan Hudson, there you go. There's the guy that there's that. that yeah. The Thank you. Um, and uh, so uh, the thing with, with Harvey is uh you know, I I just really think he'll come back. So I'm really thinking about extending him because I think at ten dollars he's a value, at fifteen dollars he's still a value. So I'm really thinking about it. So uh, don't feel bad if someone is is uh, you know sending you the Jeff Sullivan article on Tommy John surgery and uh, trying to berate you for for trying to keep Harvey. It, it's not defensible. No, yeah, not to sound not to sound terse, but if I'm a major league GM, I'm sending that article to every single one of my young pitchers. Every single one of them. Hey, really? You know, pretty bad what happened to Lubke, huh? So, how about that extension we were talking yeah. about? Uh, and go that manner. So, I mentioned earlier, they brought in Cologne to help offset this. Now, Cologne has some nice parts and he's got some bad parts. The good parts, he doesn't walk anybody. And that, that's terrific. The bad part, he doesn't strike out anybody either. I mean, his strikeout rate has been below seven all but one of the past eight seasons. He's also only made 30 starts once since 2006. That's that's kind of where his issues are. So it's only how much he can replace. The good news, he's coming from the AL to the NL, so it should help a little bit with the lesser lineup uh, as far as being able to face the pitcher. The bad news is he has to hit, and that's going to be fun to watch because he's never played in the National League, ever. 
So I maybe internet, maybe some uh, uh, interleague play and whatnot, but he's never spent a full season or even a part of a season on a on a uh, NL roster. So that'll be fun to watch. Uh, what are your expectations for Cologne? I write this. I've written this guy off for the last three years in a row, thinking he can't do it. He can't do it. He can't do it at AL Tout Wars. It's always been a joke that Matthew Barry was going to pick him. He would. He'd spend a dollar or two on him. And then last year, you know, eighteen and six with a two sixty five ERA, and just was a fantasy godsend uh, when he pitched. As far as especially if you're in a four by four league, what do you think, uh, Cologne? Can he keep doing what he's been doing? I, I just uh, I, I have to get the image out of my head of uh, Cologne whiffing on a high strike and just like <laughs> look all the belly. It's like I don't know if you've ever seen um, the 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 there was like a uh, I I don't watch the show anymore, but the world the world's biggest loser or whatever the the one that they're always trying to lose weight. Yeah, there was one yeah. guy who jumped into a pool at one point, and I can't I can't erase that from my memory. So. Um, anyway, uh, uh, Cologne, I think, uh, the biggest thing for me, I mean, yes, health is a a thing. I don't think, I don't think, uh, I think 25 starts is actually a good baseline. Um, and, uh, and so health is a thing. The other thing is, um, he got some, uh, some homer love the last two years in, in, in Oakland. And I'm not sure he's going to get that same love, you know? I'm not sure that city city plays by the numbers as a very neutral place. People think of it as a pitcher's park, but they change the uh, the fences, right. mm-hmm. and there's not. And in terms of temperature, it's not a Seattle or San Diego where it's like cold all summer. Um, so there's a. Uh, I, I think there'll be. I I would project him into a league average um, homer for fly ball rate or worse, um, considering the quality of his stuff. So. Um, I think I would, uh, you know, maybe even take the over on some of those home run per nines in the projections and, yes. uh, and bump him right up on four, like a, some sort of four ERA, nice whip, bad strikeouts, kind of almost a one-category performer. Yeah, when I look at him, the projections pretty much have his ERA going up about .8 to a full run. And we know Oakland does play as a pitcher's park because of, of the, the climate. Uh, in the last two years, he's stranded 76.3 and 80% of his base runners. That's a very high rate for a starting pitcher. And that's a credit to that Oakland outfield defense, which is good. Now, the, the Mets seem to have a really nice outfield defense as well. So there's a chance that, that could continue. But you got to expect some of that regression. When I'm looking at his ADP, the first thing that jumps out at me is he's being taken ahead of Rick Porcello. And I am one of your biggest Rick Porcello fans from 2014. Right away, I'm thinking, nope, no way. But when I look after that list, Josh Johnson, sure, I'd take Cologne because Josh Johnson, you can't trust him as far as you can kick him. Archie Bradley, we don't know what his role is. And Archie Bradley's going to be a stud. We just don't know what his role is going to be. Yvonne Nova, you know, take your pick with Cologne or Nova. I, I think Nova's got more upside, but he's always had more upside. But Cologne continues to get the better results. Now, Jonathan Meese, the next guy I want to talk about, he's going – 19 picks after Cologne, and personally, I would flip that. Yeah, 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 because, I mean, my complaint about Nice is that I don't necessarily think he has um, standout stuff. Um, he's, you know, he's a he's a lefty uh, with decent control, uh, can get grounders with his cutter, but in terms of striking people out, his, his main pitch is a curve, which is not a great uh, pitch for strikeouts, and... Um, and the curve itself is not um, one that you'd put in the pantheon of curves. I mean, 
you put up a nice curve against a Wainwright curve and you sort of, you know, chuckle a little bit. Um, but, um, you know, in terms of projectability or, 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 you know, just the ease of projection, I feel like um, Nice is, is pretty good to go for close to 30 starts, a high uh, threes ERA. Of course, his whip will be much worse than Nice's, um, I mean, than uh, Cologne's. But that's been partially because of a high batting average on balls in play in his career so far, and we don't know uh, that he deserves that yet. So, um, you know, and definitely in terms of innings, uh, Nice is going gonna, is gonna to outdo Cologne, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I would say what I was impressed with with Nice was over the second half of the season, struck out 21% of the batters he faced, walked 5.5%. That's, that's quite an improvement for him. Only allowed five home runs during that stretch. And we're talking about a stretch of 10 starts to close the season. Three ERA, 124 whip. So I think there's some, when you look at where he is, again, that's one of the reasons I would flip him right now. Nice is going outside of the top 80 for starting pitchers. And I think there's value. You look down, I'm looking around him. Ricky Nolasco is another guy that I happen to like. Kyle Loesch is there. And, and they're going behind some of these guys that are coming back off injuries or have injury histories or, or have, don't have a proven role right now. So I think there's some uh, decent value there with him. What about one of the listeners that asked about Henry Mejia? What's his role going to be? Uh, <clears throat> he's actually I, – I find him very exciting. And it's uh, – you just have to remember that uh, he's terrible when it comes to staying healthy. So everyone's always said that uh, he's going to end up in the bullpen, and it's, and it's weird because it's not because of stuff. Um, it's because uh, he – Let me. I'm, I'm trying to pull it up right now. He's, on our depth charts, he's projected into 28 innings. I think he's, our, he's, he's the Mets' fifth starter, so I think he should have about 140 innings. But you can't project Henry Mejia into 140 innings because – his career high in one season is 94. That's sexy. And that was in 2009. Since he's managed uh, something like 45, 40, no, no, that's 85 uh, in 2010, 28 in 2011. Um, in 91, okay, that's his career high in 2012. And uh, last year, he only managed 55. So uh, he gets hurt every year. He's had surgeries for, you know, elbow particles and blah, 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 and do, 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 do. Uh, the, uh, the, the thing that's really exciting about him is he throws a cutter like a fastball. It has a ton of mm-hmm. movement. Um, it's a cut fastball, but, it, you know, he throws it like his fastball. So he has a ton of movement. It gets like 75% grounders. Um, he has a curve that gets above average whiffs, but he scrapped that for a slider, which gets 27% whiffs, or did last year. 27% whiffs for a slider is, is elite. So he now suddenly has a great slider, a great cutter, uh, a really good changeup that is underrated. I mean, the per-pitch metrics say it's above average for sure. Um, and he does throw a sinker some too. So, you know, I think it's it's mostly cutter, slider, change. That gives him weapons against both sides. All three pitches are, I don't want to say elite, but like could be and are really close to elite, like really good pitches. So he should be a, a starting pitcher, and he should be, if if you knew nothing about his health or, we, or it didn't matter or if he had been putting up 120s, 150s in the minors regularly, he would be a star prospect. This is how I feel about Henry Mejia. 
Yeah, I have them in my local league, and I believe I have them because I ended up getting up a Mets fan to pick them up this free agency. The the price the price is too high for me to keep them, but when I watch them, I'm very excited about what he has. But for all the reasons you listed, the injury, you know, can he, is he ever going to achieve that ceiling? Uh, so that's where our thoughts are with him. Let's shift to the bullpen. How's Bobby Parnell's offseason going? Because he ended up uh, he had offseason surgery towards the end of it, correct? Um, yeah, so, uh, what, uh, I think what I've heard is he'll be good. And, um, it's a little bit tough with the uh, neck surgeries. Uh, sometimes they're a little iffy, but, um, you know, what's really interesting is, uh, that he's not like a football player. So he's not, he's not out there like, you know, jamming his neck into things. He does have to use it for his rotation, but it's not an arm. It's not a shoulder. I think it's, I think it would be personally behind a knee problem or two, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, I think he'll be all right. You know, in terms of what he does when he's on the field, it's actually kind of interesting. Um, he, uh, he, uh, he on purpose, and he told me this is on purpose. Uh, he has traded strikeouts for ground balls. He wants, love that. And he wants ground balls. He wants to suppress homers. And he throws, you know, 98. It used to be called cap and fastball, but now um, he's got a splitter and uh, and a slider. And they're good enough that uh, he's not just a fastball pitcher. And he's smart about pitching low in the zone, getting grounders, getting out of there quicker. Uh, I think that he's a really good pitcher. And uh, I think he's undervalued in fantasy drafts right now. I, I, I think he's pretty much good to go for 30 saves and good ERA and Maybe a smad, a smudge, you know, fewer strikeouts than uh, your average closer, which is almost near ten strikeouts for nine. He'll probably be closer to eight and a half or nine, but um, you know, still a really good pitcher. Yeah, he's currently going twenty fourth off the board. Just ahead of him is the now uh, non closing Danny Farquhar because of Fernando Rodney, uh, Grant Balfour, Jim Henderson, and right behind him is Fernando Rodney, Rex Brothers, and John Axford. Let's say Parnell's not ready to start the season. Let's say he opens the season on a disabled list, needs to miss two or three weeks. Who in that bullpen could pick up a couple of saves in his absence? I mean, I like Vic Black. Um, I don't know that we necessarily have, uh, you know, him as the second guy in there. But I think that they own him for a long time. They they got him as a guy that would be a future closer. He has the strikeouts and the velocity, and those are the things that we found um, uh, correlate well with, with uh, closer success. So I, I think Big Black is second because, you know, Familia, you know, has bad control, but not as many strikeouts. German or Herman or however you say it, I like to say German because I'm German, um, is actually... Is there something that you're not? And you're Jamaican, you're German. I think I know about eight ethnicities about you already. I'm from the South and I'm from the West Coast and I'm from the East Coast. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, German actually has a really good changeup um, and decent breaking stuff. So I actually really like German. I just don't know if he fits the mold. I, in the deepest of leagues, I will be only German. I'll, I'll buy German in a couple NL-only 20-team leagues, put him on my bench, um, or use him for ratios. I like him as a pitcher. I think he's going to have a good year. I just don't know how many saves he'll get, uh, and I'm not sure he's second in line. But I take both of those guys over Familia. Um, I don't know about Edgin. You know, there's a health issue there. Scott Rice is a lefty, so you know that's that's my pecking order right there. Is is German and Black second? 
All right. Let's uh, shift down the rail line and get down to D.C. and look at the Nationals. And with the Nationals, Jason Worth, I mean, it came back from a, a bad, bad 2012 season where he struggled with injury and had a, even an injury in 2013, but still was a monster, hitting 318, 25 home runs, drove in 82, stole 10 bases, and was right where he was in that first year. He had a pretty, you know, hit with better average, but that, that looked like the Jason Worth that was heading into free agency during the 2010 season last year. And outside of our friend Paul Spore, not too many people were really on that Jason Worth bandwagon last year. When you look at him, do you think this is something sustainable? When we're talking about a guy who will be turning 35 during the coming season. Um, I do have some worry about him. Uh, I just think, I just think that thir- that's a big number. I was going to mention it if you didn't. The 35, uh, you know, aging curve is not actually that that helpful for um, 35 year olds. And I don't necessarily know. I think w- where we'll see it is the uh, strikeout rate. I think the st- he used to have a strikeout rate that was more 22, 23, 24. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year's was kind of what you might call a breakout season in terms of strikeout. Yeah, it was his best it was his best strikeout rate for any full season that he's played in. Right. And and the reason that it took him so long to get going, I mean he's a late bloomer. Uh part of it was uh he was a righty and people thought he could only hit lefties. Um so that's part of it. I think that part's gone. He's a, he's a he's a decent two-way player. Uh, but the other part was too many strikeouts and and um not enough glove to make it all work. So um, in the end, he has been a good player, um, but um, I just think he's going to miss more time. If you look at the last three seasons, he had 649 plate appearances, and he had 344 mm-hmm. and 532. Um, and, you know, projection is, says 488, and I like that. I would project him into, into less uh, playing time than last year. So, you know, if you up the strikeout rate and you down the playing time, all the counting stats go down, the batting average goes down. Um, I don't, I, you know, I hate to always agree with Steamer, but Steamer says 273, 16 homers, seven stolen bases, 48 plate appearances. I like that projection. I think that's, I think that's right in line with, you know, I think he's going to miss time. That's why they got McLeod. You know, they wanted to make sure that they had a, a, a good depth, and I think that was really smart for them. Um, he'll be good when he's in, but, uh, you know, I, last year I was, uh, I, I was, I was, I may not have beaten the drum as loudly as for, but I was a big Worth fan. Uh, mostly because he's coming off a 344 plate appearance season and was super cheap. Um, now you have to pay retail for him. I'm less excited. Fair enough. Let's look at uh, right now. He's a top 25 outfielder. He, he makes it in right at 25, just ahead of Alex Gordon, Carlos Beltran, and Dominic Brown. Are you comfortable with that? I, you know, I think I'd take Don Brown over him. Uh, because I know there's some risk with the power since he hasn't shown it in multiple years, but I believe in the swing change. And, you know, I was accused on Twitter of that being like a post facto, you know, explanation to break out. Um, But I also just, I believe that people change and I believe that people change things about them. And I think. Now you sound like Rocky. (laughs) (laughs) I could change. We all could change. (laughs) But I mean, you know, Brandon Belt made some big changes. One of them was based on Don Brown's changes. And, right. And you see very large uh, jumps in production from Brandon Belt just right around times where he's made a well-publicized uh, change to his style. So right. 
I want to do more work on this myself. Actually, I'm really interested in taking qualitative data and making it quantitative. It's something I did in college. And I would really like to take the kind of stuff that I find in interviews when I talk to people. I'd like to find that and sort of correlate that in a meaningful way against, I probably shouldn't be telling everybody this because if I don't do it, they'll be mad. If somebody else does it, I'll be really mad. Keep the pressure on them. Yeah, but uh, what I would really like to do is correlate these statements about uh, changes in approach to uh, to outcomes and see if uh, they are meaningful. But to me, they feel very meaningful. I hope that it's not just a, a siren song. And um, so, and Don Brown, whatever I say about all that, he's healthier and younger. So um, on some level, I, I I just I think we'll get more plate appearances from Don Brown. And he's going he's going 15 picks after Worth. Gordon's going two. Beltran's going three. I would take Gordon and Beltran over Worth myself. But we're we're you know just with over three or four picks, there's not that much there. You mentioned McLeod earlier. He was a sleepy uh, a sleepy fantasy guy last year, especially early in the season because he stole a lot of bases. Buck Showalter let him run. They gave him the playing time, matched him up well, and he did well. He, he wore down the second half of the season, but the Nationals definitely wanted his skill set because they wanted somebody who can play all three positions, which he can do, in case they were to fall into some of the injuries. That's what kind of uh, set the Nationals back last year, is when they had injuries, they didn't have the depth to fill in for these guys. So you bring in McLeod, who ended up with almost 600 plate appearances, hit 12 home runs and stole 30 bases, and was dirt cheap on draft day. I don't think he went, uh, even in auctions, I don't think he went for more than five or six bucks. What do you look at for McLeod? You know, again, this is a guy who is now 33 years old. So he had his, his breakout season, at, uh, really his, his breakout season, maybe his revival season, because yeah. 2008 in Pittsburgh was really his big year. But this was kind of his revival season. What do we expect from him in Nationals with, with now with decreased playing time? Is he a mixed league option? I don't think so. Uh, I think he'll be uh, um, he'll be useful in mixed leagues um, on short stints, probably when Worth is hurt um, or Spawn. Spawn is uh, not only uh, declining in most stats, but also uh, turning 30 this year or is 30 uh, now. Um, so or not yet. He's not yet 30, but he's he's turning 30 in a couple weeks. And uh, I don't think that I think he's got a bit of a marginal skill set. So. Um, I, I think that there's a non-zero chance that at some point McLeod is stealing at-bats from Spawn on a semi-regular basis. But um, that depends on if McLeod can really play center, which I don't know about that, and or if they want Harper to play center, which I don't know about that. So um, I just don't see the playing time most of the time. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think Worth is a first baseman, and uh, they don't really – there's no obvious person they can, you know, move to – LaRoche's spot or something. So I think he's a super sub um, and maybe useful in, in deeper leagues, especially ones where you have LF, CF, RF kind of outfield situation. Um, but um, I think that that was a nice year and you just have to congratulate him on it. And uh, he took his congratulations in the form of payment money. Yeah, he did. Uh, let's come into the infield and look at the specifically the right side. I don't think anybody has any concerns about Ryan Zimmerman uh, or Desmond is shortstop, but let's look at the right side. Let's, let's start with Adam LaRoche. Much like uh, Ike Davis, LaRoche had his issues. Uh, really struggled. The 2012 season was great. And then last year, really struggled. What I've always liked about LaRoche is he's one of these guys that you could just set it and forget it because 
he was always a 24, 25 home run guy that would hit 270 and drive in 80, 80 to 85 runs. That was his projection skill set. And then 2012, got some more home runs, became a 100 RBI guy for the second time. And in 2013, went right backwards, had a, a career low. He hadn't hit, you know, 20 home runs was his lowest total since 05. Only drove in 62, which was his lowest total in any full season. Where do we go with LaRoche? I mean, this is those are skills. He's 34, but those are skills that we usually see from a little older first baseman. What happened to him? Um, I, you know, in terms of like regression drafting or, or buying low or whatever, I'm not interested. Um, I just think that there's uh, too natural of a fit with Zimmerman at first with his um, with his throwing problems. Um, yeah. And uh, he's 30. 35. Uh, he's th- it turned his birthday. He was 11, 6, 79. So he's 34, 34 turning 35 this year after the end of this year. I just think that the aging curve is catching up to him. I see a little bit too much of a bell curve um, in his stats where we're now coming. We're now more on the uh, early side of his career when he was a 20 home run hitter. Um, and uh, he hit 250 and 260. So um I think the 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 most I would expect from him this year is a 250 batting average and 22 homers or something. Fair enough. I I don't know if we're going to see 25 home runs from him again. It's just really I've always liked him. He's always been a nice fallback option, and especially if I'm looking at end game mixed league and if I went cheap at the corner, it's like well you know I can just I know there's 25 and 75 sitting out there for him. Let's look at Rendon, though. Rendon is a guy who was drafted. People were thinking about him as a top overall draft pick the year he was supposed to come out. Injuries got in his way. Injuries have kind of lingered for him uh, for the better part of his career. But when he did come up last year, he didn't embarrass himself. He didn't do much, but he uh, you know, wasn't over his head either. His strikeout rate was better than league average. His walk rate was league average. He only hit seven home runs, didn't run at all, only one stolen base. Where do you sit with Rendon for 2014? Uh, I actually really like him. Um, he, uh, let me see here. The Roche 288. He had a, a, a similar, uh, batted ball distance on home runs and flies as Adam LaRoche. Um, and, uh, one thing I really liked about, uh, Rendon also was that, um, he stayed healthy, uh, for mm-hmm. part of the year, uh, pretty much had a full season, which is the first time he'd done that. Um, other things I like about him, he's a better than average strikeout rate supported by a really nice swinging strike rate, uh, so that his strikeout rate could even improve. Um, he, his walk rate will improve. So I think he's a really good play in on base percentage leagues. Um, I think there's a lot of projection left in his power. Um, I think he's a very good sleeper in almost any league. Um, and I'm trying to acquire him where I can. Yeah, he's currently the 17th second baseman on on the uh, AF the NFBC's ADP, and that definitely is a steal. He's going 226 in his current ADP. The only second baseman that's behind him on the chart right now that I I may say, you know what, maybe I'll lead the other way is like Omar Infante. That, that's really it. But you guys got Alex Guerrero, who we don't know what you know, they're talking about trying to find defensive help for this guy already. He hasn't even played yet. Colton Wong, Emilio Bonifacio, somebody to watch depending where he lands now that he's been DFA'd by the Royals because he could end up in a playing uh, a spot where he can get some better playing time. 
perhaps Baltimore, if, if they're not comfortable with Ryan Flaherty. And talking with somebody, Bonifacio uh, was freaked out by playing defense in Toronto because of the turf. So when you look at Toronto, you look at Ryan going, it's like maybe they'll want him back. There's not a chance Bonifacio wants to go back to Toronto. But going to Baltimore, I think that could kind of put him in that Nate McCluth role from last year because Buck Showalter does like to run. And that's one of the things you can do in the AL East because there's not that many good throwing catchers. They added Ryan Hannigan, but you've got A.J. Pruszynski as a turnstile behind the plate and, and, and those things. So that's where things are looking. Brian McCann's going to help that out a little bit. But I'm, if Bonifacio goes to Baltimore, I'm very interested in Bonifacio. Yeah, they do uh, have an unsettled situation at second. Um, and they, they are the kind of team that I think could take a chance on someone like that. Um, you know, but uh, – I mean, he's unsettled, and, and Rendon has the job, and it's just a question of health. And, you know, hopefully last year, some a lot of last year did something um, to uh, to assuage those those worries. And for me, mm-hmm. I don't I'm not sure. I mean, I'm obviously um, uh, being working with my intuition here rather than um, my quantitative analysis because analysis, because, you know, for the most part, I, I often come down right around where Steamer says I'm way more excited about Rendon than all the projections. And I have him in my local league. I'm pretty excited about him, too. I mean, I've had a chance to interview the guy. I interviewed him at the AFL last time he was out there. And really nice kid. You would never know from talking to him that he was a, a top five overall pick. Yeah, and I really didn't have the attitude. Just a, a really super positive uh, didn't know me from Adam. Was super polite. Sat there and talked. In fact, he, st- he sat there and talked with us to the point where Kirk Gibson was yelling at him to get his ass back over to the the team because he was just sitting there talking with us. Yeah, and I, you know, what I like about um, his his background is I do uh, like guys that have struggled in some way at some point, um, and I think that that gives them the impetus to really try hard. I mean, it's, you look at Alex Gordon's career; he didn't struggle until uh, the bigs, and um, you know, it was, he really overcame that and it, you know, was mm-hmm. a better player after that. Um, and I think that um, Rendon's injury thing probably, you know, gave him a little bit of a, a reason to 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 really attack it hard. And and I, I just, you know, there are numbers reasons for liking. I mean, like I said, the strikeout rate is there. He already had uh, near league average power, and the minor league stuff seems to suggest he has more than that. So um, I don't think he'll steal a lot of bases, but uh, you know, like a Jerko type season. Um, I think is not even that crazy to say. And I think he could, in the long run, have better batting average than Jericho. be nice to see that play out. Let's look behind the dish. Wilson Ramos got hurt last year and derailed what looked to be a pretty darn good season, especially from catcher. He had 16 home runs, had driven in 59, hit 272 and just 303 plate appearances. Yeah, his on-base percentage wasn't high, but we're talking about catchers. Who cares? Uh, you know, we're talking power batting average was solid for him. He is currently a top 10 catcher by ADP going 140, but that's 50, uh, 42 picks behind Matt Wieters. And that is another 56 behind Sal Perez. Do you think that Wilson Ramos could hit for enough power and batting average to p- potentially jump into the top five or six at this position by se- uh, season's end? I am also not rational about Wilson Ramos. I, I, I'm in love with Wilson Ramos. Uh, Wilson Ramos had the fourth highest batted ball distance last year um, in baseball. His, his flies and homers went at an average distance of 309 and a half feet 
just behind Pedro Alvarez, Paul Goldschmidt, Carlos Gonzalez, and just ahead of Miguel Cabrera, Ryan Zimmerman, and Hanley Ramirez, and Chris Davis. So that's nice. That's crazy talk. It's it's not. I mean, it it makes the Twins you know stay up at night. Um, but uh, it's I, all worth Matt Caps. All worth <laughs> Matt Caps. I think the power is most definitely there, and you can see from his. Uh, if you can see from the, his strikeout rates that he's uh, that he's in line for for good batting averages for a catcher. So uh, there's only one question with him: it's how how much he can stay healthy um, with catchers, you know. And you know, there, there's something to be said for I'd rather have a really great guy on some level. I'd rather have a really great guy while he's in there. And this could be an argument for Worth over Don Brown from earlier. And I hate to be intellectually inconsistent, but uh, there is something to be said for having a guy who's great when he's in there and goes on the DL when he's not. So you put him in your DL slot and you get a, you get a replacement, you know, in deeper leagues, you have to think a little bit harder about uh, the value of, of having him in there because your waiver wire will suck. Uh, but in mixed leagues, I think Wilson Ramos is one of the best catching sleepers. I would, I would, I would reach to get him in that. I would not take him in the very end rounds. I would make sure I got him. where did you say he's going? 140 is where his ADP is, is NFBC ADP is 140, high of 96, low of 184. Well, I would try to get him in that range. I'd want to wait till after the 10th round just because he's still a catcher. Uh, How about this? I got him at the 200, with the 201st pick in a 20-team mixed league single catcher league. Yeah, and actually, that's great, and, and that's something to really think about when you're in single catcher leagues is uh, some people do their analysis for deep leagues based on, on two catchers, and, and some people um, think that it's really scarce, but there's probably uh, 15 you know pretty good catchers um, that can all hit 260 with 18 homers or whatever is my, is my ongoing joke. So um, you know I think you can really wait on catchers. I mean, that, I think you, you, you're a good example of that with And he was the 10th catcher taken. Rosario went in the third round, Maurer in the fourth. Molina in the fifth, Lucroy in the seventh, uh, Perez in the eighth, Santana in the sixth, Posey in the fourth, McCann six, Weeders nine. Then I took Ramos the first pick of the eleventh round. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And that's, uh, that's where he is. I, I'm in a in my um, Auto New Experts League, uh, which it looks like a um, the Auto New Experts League looks like a uh, uh, a two-catcher league because you have two catchers in slots, but you only get 162 games from those guys. So it's kind of like a one-and-a-half-catcher league. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got McCann for 11 and, and Ramos for three. And I needed a, uh, I needed a, a, a second baseman or a middle infielder. And I was only getting offers of guys like Howie Kendrick. Andy Barons was offering Howie Kendrick. And there's some other... Um, names I just wasn't that excited about. And I just really felt like I'm going to just play both these guys in the beginning of the season, you know, start to max out my innings a little bit while they're healthy and then show everybody how valuable these two catchers are because McCann in New York is going to have a great time. And uh, I think Ramos, he'll be at least be healthy to start the year and he'll look good. And I think I'll get a lot better than Howie Kendrick, um, you know, in the earliest part of the season. So Ramos, great sleeper. There we go. Let's go up to the mound and, Strasburg, Gio Gonzalez, I'm sure you probably agree with me. You don't have that many concerns about Gonzalez. What, what, what concerns about what? Do you have any about Gio Gonzalez? Yes, he was awesome in 2012, wasn't as good last year. 
But he's not he's not shaking my confidence. I mean, when I look at this rotation of Strasburg, Gonzalez, Zimmerman, and Doug Fister, I think there's a strong possibility all four of those guys are gone by the tenth round of all drafts. Do you disagree? Yeah, um, I I actually I went for Strasburg, and uh, what I really like about Strasburg is he managed 180 innings, um, and you know. Yes, he had the surgery. I'm a little bit worried about that. Um, but I just uh, I feel like one year Strasburg is going to win the Cy Young. He's going to pitch 200 innings, and it's going to be so – it's going to be just really beautiful. It's going to be like an ERA in the twos. Um, and uh, I I just feel like it could be this year. I, and I hate to sound like the in, intuitive guy again, uh, and it might just be a, a shot in the dark. But there – and people were talking about, oh, his velocity went down, swing strike rate went down. You have to look at that within those metrics within the context of other starters. And his strikeout rate was still uh, seventh best in the in the majors. His swinging strike rate is still elite. He traded a couple strikeouts for uh, for grounders, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I don't uh, I I love Steven Strasburg. Maybe I reached on him a little bit in our mock when I took him uh, in the third round, but uh, I love him. I think I agree with you that most of these guys have been gone. We had this weird thing where we were projecting Gio Gonzalez to get hurt for a lot because he was uh, not a strike thrower uh, in terms of the mechanics. Uh, right. And so he was uh, – strike throwers have better health outcomes. And then he also throws a curveball a ton. And there have been um, – you know, in our research, we've shown that curveballs, um, you know, can lead to some injuries. So, um, you know – he could get injured at this point though. He's, he's, you know, four years of basically 200 innings has proven us wrong. His uh, control has gotten better too. So I, I don't, I'm not projecting him into an injury this year. That's where I am with him as well. Uh, you know, those, the top three are all gone by the top 100. And then Doug Fister's coming in at 172. Personally, I like Fister going from the AL to the NL Go, he's going to be playing in front of a really nice defense. That's going to be a nice piece for him. So the defense is going to be rather solid, and it, obviously losing a DH and then coming over to face the pitcher. I think there's some value in Doug Fisher going where he, you know going 172. He's going as the 40th pitcher off the board. He's going behind Patrick Corbin, behind Francis, Francisco Liriano, behind John Lester, and I, I'm almost willing to take Fisher ahead of all three of those guys. I uh, I've I've taken Fisher in a bunch of uh, leagues where you know I felt really good about getting him for my fourth or fifth um, fourth or fifth uh, fantasy pitcher, which I think he's going to be an amazing fourth or fifth. Uh, he's going to have um, the, the pitcher to strike out. He's going to have uh, better infield defense behind him than he did last year. Um, I think his Babbitt could drop, you know, forty points. Um, and uh, because he had a 332 Babbitt last year, and part of that was a guy named Miguel Cabrera. So uh, just a bit, yeah. And Johnny Peralta is not that great himself. So I think uh, he's going to have an ERA in the low threes. He's not a strikeout menace, but uh, he, he's not going to hurt you like a cologne or something. So um, I think uh, I think he, you know, bump him in strikeouts, bump him everywhere across the board. Small little whip. I think I love Fister. Fister, I can't believe the Nationals. I love that the Nationals were bad last year because um, I think that they'd really created a lot of fantasy sleepers. 
Yeah, it definitely. There's the highway robbery in the deal. I know in looking at uh, ESPN's Sweet Spot blog, they were doing a, a thing on best teams in baseball. And today, I believe they picked the Nationals third. They've got the Cardinals. They have the Tigers. They have the Nationals. They have the Rays. Those are their top four teams. Uh, so I, I love the fact that, you know, Fister's only going as a 40 starting pitcher because I definitely think there's some value. A quick note before switching to the bullpen, John Heyman's saying that the Nationals may be a contender for A.J. Burnett. And if they add Burnett to that rotation, forget about it. That's going to be one sick and filthy rotation. Yeah, yeah. And last year I was the only uh, the guy on staff that uh, took the Braves, and uh, I'm definitely not doing that again this year. Uh, no, no. I've already, I've already stopped my local radio calls here when I talk to people. I'm like, yeah, I'm already I'm already on board with the Nationals, even if they don't add Burnett. Yeah, I don't know why our projection systems don't love them so much. Um, you know, they have them basically on par with uh, the Giants and the Indians. Um, and I think that would mean that they were out um, of the postseason because I see the Braves are in above them. Um, the Cardinals are in above them and, uh, the Rockies, who else? They need one more, I think. Oh, maybe they'd be at oh, the Dodgers. Uh, so they would, they would be out of the playoffs. Um, if our uh, projection systems are right, we have the Pirates, the Braves, the, uh, Dodgers, the Cardinals, that would definitely be a needle uh, needle mover for uh, the Nationals if they were to do that. Uh, bullpen. And the Diamondback. Uh, over under on Rafael Soriano finishing the season as a closer, period. Uh, over under? Uh, I, yeah, over under. I'll take the uh, <laughs> over under on DL, uh, DL stints uh, at one. I'll take the over. Um, I, I think he's injured. Uh, yeah, there's a the indicators don't speak well of him. I mean, if you haven't, if people haven't looked at the indicators, his opponent's batting average last year was 251. It's a five-year high. His strikeout rate dropped from 24.7 to 18.4 percent. His swing and miss rate went from 27 to 19. That that's a that's a big drop off. We haven't even talked about. We'll get to that with Jonathan Papelbon as well when we start talking about the Phillies in a couple of episodes. But to me, there's a lot of red flags in my local league. I have Drew Storm and Tyler Clippard. I'm considering keeping both of them because our keepers aren't due until March 15th. You know, if something were to come out about Soriano being hurt, I'd like for it to happen before then, selfishly. But I'm considering keeping at least one, if not both, of those players because I have that little faith in Soriano being effective this year. Yeah, it's just uh, he had a, a velocity problem um, early in the season, and, you know, Went on the DL, and uh, when he came back, it was a little bit better. But, um, you know, where he used to be sort of 93, 94, touching 95, uh, he didn't hit 95 once this past season. Um, he, he sat more 91, 92 for most of the season. At times, he actually came out and had four outings in a row where he was uh, under 90 on the average fastball. Um, and you see these crazy dips and valleys uh, and peaks in his in his fastball velocity when you look, and uh, that doesn't see it, that says to me that something's uh, weirds going on. And then then you look at the sort of results based stats and you see uh, worst swinging strike rate of his career, worst strikeout rate of his career, and um, you know I don't I don't I think there's something going on there. And it's not like he has been a, a picture of health his whole career. He's 
definitely had uh, missed parts of uh, three or four seasons with uh, with injuries. So uh, the one quote that always sticks out with him uh, that uh, John Smoltz, I remember him being told one time, asked, you know, what about Rafael Soriano? And they said, well, as long as he's on a, he said, as long as he's on a one year contract, he'll be great. Uh, the good news is Rafael Soriano is in the final year of his contract. There is a $14 million team option for 2015 um, that gets guaranteed if he finishes 120 games over the uh, over the last two seasons. And the fact that he finished um, 58 last year would mean he need, would need uh, to finish quite a bit more uh, this year on that. So he'd need to get 62, and he hasn't finished 62 games since ever. Uh, so I think that vesting option is not going to kick in there. So uh, it, it would behoove him to bust a lot of butt this year and get this done. But I just, I do not like what I see here unless he does something in the off season to, to help with his conditioning, which has never really been a strong suit of his either. Uh, I think that somebody else not named Soriano is going to lead this team in saves. Yeah. And you know, the, the easy answer is uh Clifford. Um, just because that's what, uh, past, uh, uh, past situations have, uh, have said, but, um, you know, and they're trying to trade store in and they were rumored to be in on ball four. So obviously I think that they're thinking, um, along the same lines as us. Um, and, uh, and so they're a little bit worried about the bullpen. So, um, my only concern with Clifford is that guy has thrown so many pitches. And I know a lot of people will say rubber arm and whatnot, but I believe he's led all of baseball in relief in pitches over the last four or five seasons. There's a lot of mileage on that arm. And I don't know what kind of bird rates there. You see sort of a little bit of signs last year towards the end uh, of wearing down a little bit. Uh, I remember seeing towards the end of the season. That's always been my concern. I, again, I have him. It would be awesome if he could get that job, especially because I have him for one measly dollar. That said, that's always been my concern is I can't get over the amount of pitches that guy's thrown. Yeah, it's a lot of pitches. Um, well, I mean, I don't, we, what do you want? I mean, usually for the most part, you know, staying healthy um, is it predicts more health in the future. So if he hadn't been throwing those pitches, we'd be worried about, you know, why has he been hurt? Uh, the thing I like is it, it looks a lot more, um, it just looks a lot more uh, steady than than Soriano. So, you know, I obviously to begin the season, uh, Soriano will close. So I think I'm not sure I would draft Clifford, um, especially since uh, we don't know what the pecking order will be at the at the in that bullpen. But uh, I have to rescind my comment. He's actually second in pitches to throw him in relief. Carlos Marmol has him beat by nine. Oh God! But and then they're not, they're and then Clifford Clifford is ahead. <laughs> Clifford is five hundred pitches ahead of the next guy. Five hundred. But they're not the same beast. I mean, he's not throwing the ball like Marmol. I mean, that says to me that Marmol's you know going to pitch like twenty innings this year. Marmol Marmol has faced uh, roughly seventy fewer batters too. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it, it says it says to me also that they love him. You know, so. I don't know. I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't actually draft the guy. I, I mean I think that Soriano will at least be healthy to begin the season. I, those words mm-hmm. could come back to bite me, but I would I, I don't necessarily see uh, like for example Rex Brothers in Colorado is behind Latroy Hawkins, but I think that Latroy Hawkins could lose that job before the season even starts. So 
I would actually say Rex Brothers is draftable. But do I think Tyler Clifford is draftable? You know, you'd have to start getting deeper because I think Soriano will at least start the season. And I think Clifford is the kind of guy you rush the waiver wire to get when you see the, the, the alert that uh, Soriano's hurt. Yeah, definitely. Um, next episode is going to be the Orioles and the Padres. So if you have any questions about that particular AL East or that particular NL West team, uh, let us know. I know there's going to be a, there should be a lot to discuss for both of those teams, especially with the Padres. I, if you were just on a, from a baseball win perspective, I like the Padres more than I like the Orioles this year. I think the Orioles are going to be the last place team uh, in the American League East this team this uh, year because I thought their offseason has been absolutely terrible to date. Um, with that, final thoughts for the listeners. Um, I think, uh, you know, the, the fun thing about the Nationals is that they are a team that will produce fantasy sleepers because they were bad last year um, and then will also probably be a pretty good team this year. So uh, yeah, I think they're they're one of those interesting teams. A lot of times you get a you get a really bad team that provides fantasy sleepers just because nobody's paying attention. Um, but, the, you know, that's not really the situation here. So. That's kind of a fun, fun situation. And then also the Mets, um, you know, just watch their, their, their pitching prospects as they, uh, you know, as the year goes on and they start getting closer to 2015, I think that they really have set their eyes on 2015 as, as a year where they would be competitive. Um, so I think you're going to see like Rafael Montero, uh, if he doesn't get traded for a bat, you'll see uh, Thor, uh, Thor Syndergaard, his, his real name is Noah, I think, Syndergaard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very good prospect. Yeah, so those guys, and I don't think that they're worth drafting, and this is mostly draft prep kind of conversations we're having, um, but they are definitely in in deep leagues where you can hold a pitcher until the second half, then start thinking about Syndergaard uh, and and think about Montero at the very end of your drafts because uh, uh, those guys guys are going to be good, I think. Agreed. They're, they're definitely going to be fun to watch their farm system. I know that Keith Law had ranked the Mets system, uh, I believe, in sixth best overall uh, with that. So that's should be brighter days ahead for the Mets. So, again, thanks for listening. Give us your feedback, your questions and such in the comment section. And we will record next Tuesday where we talk about the Orioles and the Padres. And then next, hopefully next Thursday or next Friday when we jump over and talk about the, uh, the Keystone podcast. It will be the Phillies and Pirates. Thanks for listening.